Good morning. My name is Scott Boren. I'm the other half of the better half of her. Uh, uh, I'm glad to. Be, I'm one of the pastors here at Woodland Hills, and I'm glad to be sharing God's word with you this morning. As Greg is away on vacation, uh, somewhere on a boat, he was tweeting about it last night. If you follow him on Twitter, uh, this morning we're going to do something that we've been doing for the last seven or eight years. If you've been around here, we're going to get back into Luke. Can you believe that? Seven or eight years? We've been in Luke about seven years. Uh, and it, believe it or not, we're like in chapter 22. And there's only 24 chapters. We're going to finish this. So we're going to get back into Luke. Over the last uh, few months, we've been uh, really delving into the topic of God's love and how, how we can participate in that love. And, and today we're going to get back into the, this grand story about Jesus and what he has done and when he, when he came to live and die. At this point in the story, um, we find that Jesus has just led his disciples into, uh, through uh, the, the Last Supper. This was their last meal together, and it's where we get the practice of communion, which we uh, celebrated uh, recently. <clears throat> and in this Last Supper is where we find out about Judas. And how Judas is going to betray Jesus and turn Jesus over to the authorities. And we also find out about Peter. How Peter is going to deny. Jesus actually predicts that Peter will deny Jesus. So all these kind of frustrations are going on. These, this celebratory meal is happening. He predicts his death. And then he talks about somebody's going to betray him and that Peter is going to deny him. Peter, the braggadocious, strong one uh, who supposedly has so much faith, is going to fail Jesus. So there's a little tension going on. In this context, we read the story that we are going to uh, preach about today. In Luke 22, uh, verse chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, it reads, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And, as, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went to, back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let us take a minute and just become aware of God's presence here in this room. Thank you, God, that you are here. And that you were at work in our world and that you, Jesus, came and gave your life for us and rose from the dead so that we can participate in your life. May we become aware of what you're doing in our lives and the lives of people around us and in our world this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you just to enter into the story with me. Just imagine that you're one of the disciples and you're following Jesus out onto the Mount of Olives, which was a common practice of Jesus. He would often go to this mountain outside of Jerusalem and pray. I want to talk about a mountain. It wasn't like a huge mountain, not like 
Denver or something. This was, these were in between a hill and a mountain. Uh, and he would climb up and, and he would find a place to pray. And he said, okay, disciples, you stay here. And he went about a stone's throw further, probably about 30 feet or so from uh, the disciples. And they could hear what was going on and, and he, hear what Jesus was praying. And in this context, we are learning that Jesus was going through this trial. And he encourages the disciples to pray so that they will not fail during times of trial, the upcoming trial. Because Jesus knows his future. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. And he knows that the disciples don't understand what's happening. And that they could fail. That Satan wants them to fail. To lose faith. To run away. Jesus wants them to stay true, to stay faithful. And he says, if you will pray now, you might be able to endure the coming trial. If, if they don't do this, if they don't pray now, Jesus knows that failure will be inevitable. Jesus is asking them, who wants to pray? Who wants to have a conversation with God and, and hear what God has to say to you? Who wants to connect with God and be strengthened? So that when you face the trials, you'll be able to stand strong. Who wants to pray? And Jesus prays. Jesus goes and he prays and he kneels before the Father and he pours out his heart. He has this anguishing conversation with God. And he goes back and he realizes that the disciples didn't want to pray. They fell asleep. Jesus understood something about prayer that the disciples did not. Jesus understood and felt something about prayer. He understood what he was about to go through. And he knew that if he was going to endure the cross, endure the pain, endure that, he needed prayer now, not just when he was on the cross. You see, if we want to endure what is coming in our lives, if we want to endure any hardship in our lives, if we want to endure things in our lives that we don't like, we need to learn to pray when things are normal. If we wait to pray when things are tough, we're going to fail. We're going to most likely fall. We need strength. We get strength to do things when things are not so, or when things are, are normal or things are good. That's what builds up our faith. It's kind of like a, if you were to, wanted to play basketball. This, you know, this big story about LeBron James, which 10 million people watched a few weeks ago, is uh, a big announcement. You know, he's got great talent. Michael Jordan has great, had great talent, but what made them great was what happens when no one is looking. See, it's when, you are, when no one is looking and when we, we are with God and we're connecting with God. That's what makes us awesome with, and, and able to endure the trials of this life, endure the ups and downs, to, to be victorious when other, other people are falling and failing. It's when we have the strength and have the ability to connect with God, to have a conversation with God, when we don't feel like we need to. Because things are good. My life is working. So when we connect with God, when things are working, that helps us see what really is going on in this world. If you want to have victory, pray when things are going, when you, your life looks victorious. If you want to have strength, pray when you're strong. Because that will give you the strength to endure when we feel weak. Jesus knew this, so, and the disciples didn't. Jesus understood that if he wanted strength for the cross, he needed to pray before he got to the cross. 
So basically, we're talking about prayer in preparation for times of trial, which we all face. We go through ups and downs in our lives, times when we need to be strengthened, times when we lean on, thing, lean on God when, more than we do others. When I was uh, working on this passage and preparing this passage with Greg and looking at the rest of Luke, and I saw that this was the story that we were going to get to preach about this weekend, I was excited. I thought, awesome. This is a great passage. This is where we could talk about encouraging people to pray and, 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 it, and getting us cheered up and bolstered up to go and pray and get back connected with God. Maybe some of you haven't been connected with God, and maybe we can be encouraged to get reconnected with God. And so I started digging into this, and I wrote a sermon, and I was up about 2, two o'clock in the morning with our one-year-old Afton, who was awake for three hours. That's a lot of fun. And as I'm walking around the house or, you know, just trying to say, letting her play because she just was in one of those places, um, I I realized I don't want to preach that sermon. And as I was praying about this and listening to God about this, and and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, be honest. I'm like, wait a second. Um, This other stuff will preach, God. Because you can get people souped up about this and get them geared up to to pray. And God was saying, well, I want you to be honest. I'm like, well, that might not preach as well. (laughs) I mean, honesty uh, about me? Uh, Not so sure about that, God. And uh, so I went back and rewrote some stuff and struggled through this and talked to some people. and, And I realized as I got honest that the word prayer acted as a trigger for me. For instance, when you hear a certain word, it triggers something in your brain. Norm told us that he went back to New York City to see his mother and his family. When he he hears the word New York City, it means something totally different than the rest of us. I think of the Yankees. That's what it triggers in my brain. For, for, For Norm, it's something totally different. When you hear the word prayer, what does it trigger in your brain? And when I heard the word prayer, and I was, as I was preparing to talk about prayer, I realized that there were some triggers going on in my brain. Now, I've preached on prayer, talked on prayer, heard hundreds of sermons on prayer, read books on prayer. I've actually had a decent prayer life at, at times in my life, but I realized that something else, there was something else that Jesus wanted to deal with. Something that was keeping me, and maybe keeping some of us, from actually entering into what this story has for us today. Some of these triggers for me included things like, you know, you ought to be praying right now. You ought to have a quiet time every day at a certain time of day. And it ought to look like this, and it should look like this. And here's a pattern for your private quiet time with God. And if you follow this pattern, you too will have a successful quiet time with God. I heard all kinds of preachers and all, and I'm sure they were well-meaning, but what it did for me was it told me how inadequate my prayer life really was because I would work at it. I, at one point in my life, I even wrote out my prayers because Bill Hybels did the same thing. He's a big pastor of a big church in Chicago. And I thought, well, if Bill Hybels can pray like that, I can too. And I've got journal after journal after journal of me trying to bolster up myself to pray and be dedicated to pray. And I thought this would be a sermon that would help us be 
bolstering up our faith so that we would pray. And I was realizing that God was wanting us to talk about something else. The inadequacy about prayer was just... Uh, and even after, I, after all the praying that I've done and seeking God and hearing God's voice, I realized that I still looked at my life and my prayer life with God as totally inadequate. That it, I didn't have anything anywhere in comparison to a kind of relationship, in comparison to the kind of relationship that real prayer warriors had, real prayers had. In fact, I, there are other times... When I, I looked at prayer and having to look, live up to the expectations of those who really knew how to pray. Because they were more vocal than I was. Or they had more energy or more passion than I do when they pray. That I, if I was wanting to be reflective or, or just really quiet, that that wasn't good enough. And I, I, was, I just, the inadequacy that I had going on in my head was actually keeping me from entering into the story about Jesus encouraging me as his disciple to pray so that I could endure the coming trial. Last night, a mother told me that her 15-year-old son five years ago prayed at a church in a small group setting after a service. He prayed verbally and somebody at the end, after they got through praying, said, you don't pray right. She said he hasn't prayed since. See, there's a trigger going on in his brain that he doesn't pray right. What are the triggers in your brain? Now, you may not have a lot of church background or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, it, but I guarantee there are things going on in our culture, and our culture teaches us about prayer in ways that help us or hinder us from seeing what this story has for us. There are examples of this in our culture. Some people know how to pray, and they pray eloquently, and we feel like, oh. Then there are examples from our culture where people don't know how to pray, and we judge it, actually. Here's an example of someone who doesn't quite know how to pray from a movie from a few years, few years ago. Would you like to say grace? <laughs> oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad. You know. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace in many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. Day by day, by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to 
follow thee more nearly. Day by day. My day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Almost too funny because it can hit a little bit close to home. Yeah, you might not think, well, I, I've not experienced anything that absurd. But let me give you another example. Growing up, I grew up in North Texas in the middle of nowhere with strong Texas accents. People who knew how to turn a one-syllable word into four. <laughs> but somehow, when it was prayer time at our church, people stood up and they started talking like British King James. And I'm like, I can't pray like that. You see, this kind of praying is dishonest prayer. Because we turn prayer into a religious activity. We pray before a meal because that's what we're expected to do. We pray at certain times with certain people. We pray on Sunday morning because that's what we do in our culture. It's acceptable to pray here. We pray with certain people or we ask certain people to pray for us, specifically people who have a collar, except for our pastor doesn't have a collar. He doesn't need more shoes half the time. <laughs> But still, there are those in the room who think Greg Boyd's prayers mean more than mine. By the, after all, he is the pastor. I've even heard that taught, that your prayers, pastor, mean more for our church than mine do. Really? I was, uh, heard a story uh, about Jackie Pullinger, who, was, who worked, in, who still does. She actually works with the... The, one of the worst drug area, drug dairies in the world, people who are on drugs and addicted to drugs in Hong Kong. And, and years ago, it was called the Walled City. They have since torn it down, but it was this just huge place that cops didn't go into. And Jackie Pullinger would work with these people and lead them to Christ. And when she led this uh, drug addict to Christ. And, and he was still high a little bit. He's coming off this high and went to a small group. And there was this pastor from this big church in Singapore who was there. And he was actually the one telling the story. And he said, she, she led this small group and they were praying for one another. And he prayed. And after the meeting, she, he was like, why did you let him pray? He's a new Christian. He's a drug addict. And she said, how dare you? He has just as much of the Holy Spirit as you do. The Spirit of God lives within him. And how dare you think you're better than he is? Whoa. But... We think that we in the church have taught one another that there are certain people who can pray and certain people who can't. We can certain people who can do the religious activity and certain people who don't quite do so. And then there are those kinds of prayers uh, that it's a little bit more like going to the Wizard of Oz and we're Dorothy and we want to get back to Kansas. And we think prayer is just, hey, how can I offer my request? Because I'm like the tin man and I need a heart. So I'm going to go get my heart from God and then I'm going to go back and do my life normal. Because God, the Oz God behind the curtain, doesn't have much to do with my real life. 
That's religious praying. We, we go to God with our request and we offer our request. And it's that quiet time mentality I grew up with. Is I, I realized that the whole word quiet time messed up my brain. Because quiet time meant that I wasn't have a, having a conversation. Quiet time meant that God was quiet. And then I was going to talk to God, but I wasn't, hear, I wasn't expecting to hear anything back. This is, these are things in our culture we have found going on and I have observed going on with prayer. And we come and we hear about prayer. We read the instructions to pray and we walk away thinking, okay, I'm going to go pray. And then we fail at it. Or some of us just don't even try because that's not what we do in our normal lives. That's what religious people do. That's what people of the collar do. That's what leaders of the church do. They pray, but oh, not me. Who wants to pray? I, I'll opt out. I'm not one of the disciples. Or maybe I am one of the disciples and I'll, I'll sleep in. You know, if we want to do life differently, if we want God to work in our lives in a different way, if you want to be set free from things, if you want to live a victorious life, maybe the focus shouldn't be upon our life, but upon our prayer. Maybe if we learn to pray differently, to pray honestly, things will change. About uh, two years into my walk with Christ, when I was in college, a lady told me, God can handle your honesty. I was shocked because I had grown up where I thought God expected me to look a certain way, do a certain thing, perform a certain thing, volunteer for the right ministries and say yes, sir, and no, sir, and don't question anything. And she said, God can handle your honesty. I'm like, uh, really? I, you don't know how angry I am right now. You don't know how I want to throw, ev- I was in a library one time talking to a friend, I want to throw every book in this room on the floor. You don't understand the rage that's within me. God can't handle that. She said, yeah, God can handle that. God can handle our honesty. The reason I can say that is because the prayer that Jesus prayed was so honest that it looked nothing like the religious prayers of the time. Let's look at the story again. The location of Jesus' prayer. It was not at the temple It was on a mountainside. It was not at a religious time. And it was not at at an official meeting. There was nothing official about this. In fact, the people he was with would not be qualified to pray in certain parts of the temple. Jesus was praying such an honest prayer that what he was praying was causing such anguish, such irreligious thoughts. You know, because we can read in Luke and Matthew and in Mark how Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. You think, well, a religious prayer would have been, okay, God, I'm coming before you. I know that I'm going to the cross. Please give me the strength to endure this. Thank you, God. Amen. No. The Son of God said, hey, Father, is there any way, is there any way we can not do this? I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want this cup. Please, is there any way? You think of the anguish he was going through. He was sweating like drops of blood falling from his face. That's honest prayer. Not any kind of religious thing that we might recite. 
It's the kind of prayer where we pour out our hearts honestly and say, this is what is going on in my life, God. And God goes, well, I know that already. I'm glad you got caught up with me. Are we being honest with our prayer before God? Because really, that's the only kind of prayer. That's the only way we will be able to enter into a, a, a relationship, a conversation with God, where we will be strengthened for this life. Honest prayer that Jesus prayed. He tried to model that for the disciples. They didn't quite get it. They didn't understand what was going on. They'd been used to the kind of prayer that a lot of us are used to, the kind of formulaic prayer where we pray certain things, we act properly, we do the right things with our, our posture and our body, and we say the right things because that's what the expectations are. But Jesus did a different kind of prayer that was a little mysterious. You see, God is not someone we can put in a box and define clearly. He is love. And love is a mystery. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's this bond of love that's going on that we can't quite explain. We can't quite control. We can control the prayers when we go to Oz. The Oz kind of God. And we know what we want to pray. We won't know what we want to life. We know what we want from this life. And we won't know what we want from God. We can control that. But when we enter into a relationship with God... An honest relationship with God, we lose control. I don't know about you, but when was the last time, for those of you who are married, felt like you were in control in your marriage? It's a relationship. It's not about control. I, I, and I, I thought I knew how to pray. I really thought I knew what prayer was like until we had kids. And half the time I wake up every morning and go, oh, God, please help me. And that's it. And that's about all I got to be honest with and help us through this day. And it's praying and squeezing in things. I, I remember back way long time ago, I was a, a youth pastor in Germany. And I met this volunteer. When I first got there, I met this volunteer. And he said, well, I pray on the road to uh, my work. And I judged him. I said, you don't know God. I didn't say it out loud, but in my heart, I judged him. And I think he did actually have a really good relationship with God. It isn't about some formula. This is what prayer is. And here's how to pray. And a lot of times at this point of sermons about prayer, a pastor will stand up and, and give me, here is a way to connect with God. And give me step one, step two, step three, step four. And I don't know about you, but every book that I've read about that regarding marriage, I look at it and go, Balderdash, you don't know my wife. You can't put her in a box like that. Parenting books I've read, I, I'm like, I'm sure there's some good stuff in there, but I'm like, my goodness, my kids can't fit that. And let me say this, we can't fit God into that box and say, oh, this is the way we must pray. Because this is about entering into the mystery of a relationship with the God of the universe. And that's what Jesus wanted to show the disciples and they missed it. Will you get it this morning? Will you go with me and get this? 
this morning? Because I think Jesus does want to show us how to enter into this mystery. I want to use a couple of scriptures to show this for it, uh, or to reveal this to us. Um, I got to get some room here. This, this is the part that'll preach. Uh, this is good stuff. I mean, Jesus, we are told in Hebrews 4. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, say great high priest, great high priest. Jesus, the son of God, say Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. A great high priest. What is the role of the high priest in the Old Testament? The high priest is the one who prays for the people of God for them. He is the one who goes before the throne room once a year and prays for the forgiveness of sins of the entire nation. Our great high priest is continually before the Father praying for you and you and you and you. Jesus is right now praying for you. You see, what Jesus was doing when the disciples were over here and he was about 30 feet over here, he was praying and entering into this relationship, this mysterious relationship with the Father, and he's hoping that the rest of us will get it. That we will enter into that same kind of relationship with the Father. That we will understand the, well, you can't understand the mystery. That you will get the fact that you can't understand it. It's just mystery. So, so many times we want to control prayer. This is what prayer looks like. And Jesus is saying, I'm praying for you. You don't have to work this up. You don't have to fit into any kind of expectations. You can just be honest. You can be real. Because even if you don't know what to pray for, even if you don't, just need to be quiet, I'm praying for you already. Here's another scripture that reinforces this. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Say, the Spirit helps us. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. To intercede is to stand in the way, stand before the Father in the, in the way of the accuser, Satan, who wants to destroy our lives. The Spirit stands in the way for us. And you might think, well, why should we pray? And if you're asking that this morning, you're at the right spot. Because the way we think about prayer is so many times, well, what should I do here? Oh, wait a second. No, it's about entering into this relationship. How do you enter into a relationship? Well, there isn't a three-step pattern to prayer. It just is. This isn't the normal talk on prayer that I've heard many times. And if you're expecting me to give you all of the all of those plans and, and uh, all those steps to, to entering into this. And if I gave you that, you would miss the relationship. We have to enter into the dynamic, relational life of God that's already going on. You see, God is at work in this world. 
He's at work at redeeming this world, but we don't often think of it because we can find God to church and small group time or religious activities or our quiet time. And that's what we get. We get our strength from God, and then we go do our life. But God's at work at your work. God's at work in your family, even if your kids are on drugs. God's at work in your failures. God's at work when you're struggling. God's at work when you're victorious. God's at work if you're at, twi- at a twins game. God's at work if you're at, at, when you're asleep. God's at work when you're fighting with your spouse. God's at work in this world. Are you aware of it? You know, the disciples were falling asleep. They didn't understand that prayer was learning and entering into this relationship so we can see what God is doing in this world. Are we seeing what God is doing in our lives? Are we praying so that the veils can be pulled off from our eyes? Not so we can get our stuff, so we can be blessed and be strong and courageous and look at my life. I'm a good Christian. It's not about us. It's about what God's doing in our world. It's about participating in a life that is beyond us with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've had people, I've talked to multiple people about this this week, and the question is, well, what does that look like? That's some kind of theological terminology you're talking about, reading these scriptures. It'd be a theologian to understand this. And so I went back and read a lot of theologians from the third and fourth centuries uh, and, and tried to figure out what they were talking about when they were talking about this kind of prayer. And the, their point was, and over and over they were saying, we don't understand it either. The point of these passages about Jesus, our great high priest, and that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us is not to explain it, not to give you a path for doing it, but so that we will understand that we can't understand it. And so that we will seek out what it means for our lives. The only thing I can think about is a couple of analogies from our life. A few weeks ago, I mentioned LeBron James making his announcement. And let's just imagine that LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh were in town. There they are, acting kind of crazy. I guess I would act kind of crazy if I signed a, that made a million dollar contract. And let's just say they showed up and they picked up the phone and called you and said, you know what, we're going to play a pickup game. We're gonna play, that means just a random basketball game. And we need help. We want you to come play. And you think, well, you know, I haven't played since high school. I haven't played since fifth grade. I've never played basketball in my life. And I said, we don't care. Guess what? Those three guys are going to make you look really good on the basketball court. Because they're going to say, I want you to stand right there, and we're going to throw you the ball, and then you throw it to me right over there. And you're going to be like, what? Oh, yeah, just throw it to me right over there. And it's not just you be over there. They would let you, let's just imagine they're letting you play a little bit. I don't care if you're in a wheelchair. They're still going to make you look good. It doesn't matter. I don't care if, you, if, if, if your glasses are this thick. Those three guys are going to make you look good. I don't care if your prayer is the most inadequate prayer in the his, history of mankind. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit is going to turn that honest prayer into a magical thing. It is a sweet aroma that could transform the world. Now, lest you think I'm some kind of sexist or uh, 
just chauvinist, I uh, just wanted to say that Shauna actually wants to move to Miami to watch them play every week. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but she does want to watch them come pl- when they come here. And, and we both spend about as much time in the kitchen. So it's not like this is a, a, a women versus men thing, but I'm going to just throw out a cooking analogy here for those of you who, think, who don't care about basketball. Let's just imagine you've been challenged and you don't cook very well. You've been challenged to cook for tw- a four-course meal for 20 people, or that I were challenged to do that. You don't want me cooking a four-course meal for anyone. I don't even know what the pans are that this lady used. Her name is Paula Dean. I don't even know. I, only reason I don't know about Paula Dean is because we have a pan that has Paula Dean's name on it. <laughs> and if you want to cook a beautiful meal, you need help. And it isn't about just watching some show. If, if, you, don't know how to, if you don't know how to cook, watching a show isn't going to help you that much because they're talking some kind of language on that show, these shows that I don't get. It was about entering into a relationship with Paula Dean and saying, well, teach me how to do this. Why do you do that? And she explains why to do that. You see, that's the kind of prayer relationship God wants to give us. He wants to demonstrate to us what prayer is like, what we're doing in that, and what kind of prayer works for you as opposed to your spouse. What kind of prayer can you enter into that, that is relational, that fits you? Because there is no one size fits all. As we enter into this prayer, we can see what God is doing in this world. And our prayers are turned into something that's bigger than us. And it impacts the world. It transforms the world. It's mystery. It's out of our control. We don't know quite what it is. And if you're this morning feeling like, whoa, Scott, I don't quite understand what my role is in this prayer thing. And I think you're in the right spot. Because I kind of want us to walk away from this with questions in our brain. A heart that's a little bit off kilter and we think, huh, what does that mean for my life? And if you have these kinds of questions, I want to point you in a couple of directions. Our pastor, Greg Boyd, has written a wonderful book. He's written many wonderful books, but this one's a little different. This is a, a, a book called uh, Present Perfect. And this is a a book that can help us see what God is doing in our normal lives. We can catch up with God and and, and beware of his presence in the everyday. Presence in the everyday of our lives. I encourage you to look at it out of the bookstore and just see how this might impact your life. And becoming aware of his presence. Uh, And if you're not a reader, this is a book for people who don't read a lot. I mean, if you're a TV watcher, well, this is a book that will fit you. Some of Greg's books are big and thick and really heady. This one is uh, for the rest of us. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. <clears throat> I think he sold about eight copies last night, so I think he'll be playing. The second one, I want to just point you to the homework that we have at the Hub. And uh, these, we have these every week at the Hub. And this week has a, a really good uh, exercise for us to, to, uh, to look at. And we're going to do a little bit of this for about a minute right here. I want you to close your eyes. This is an ancient practice from the church. It's becoming aware of where God is in our normal lives. I want you to look at your normal life from this last week. What went on? You went to work. You stayed home. You watched TV. You went to baseball games. You saw your family. 
Friends, maybe you were alone a lot this week. What went on in your life? Where was God in that? Do you see him? Where were you transformed when you didn't realize it? Where were you changed? Where were you at peace in the midst of turmoil? Where were you challenged? Where was God? Lord Jesus, help us to see you in the normal. And honestly enter into that right in the moment. Not to wait, not to put it off, not to wait till some religious activity, not even to pray some, pray some religious prayer, but to enter into it in the moment and see you for who you are as our God, as our Redeemer, as our King. Thank you, Jesus, that you're at work changing our lives when we don't even see it and help us to become aware of that every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have prayer teams at the front this morning who are glad to minister to you. If you have questions about your life with God or you want to explore a new walk with Christ, uh, feel free to come forward and pray with these people in Jesus' name.